0: Kayla and I were trying a new show. Um, It's the British version. I think there's an American version right now, too, called Ghosts. Um, Ah, I saw an ad for it. I don't know anything about it. A couple inherits a home, and uh, it's haunted, or it has a bunch of ghosts that that reside there. Sure. And um, I think then um, one of them gets uh, electrocuted, and then afterward can see the ghosts. Oh. And so they all have to then, you know, cohabitate or whatever. So we're not that far into it. So we'll see.
1: I began writing a story that I was planning intentionally on turning into a screenplay that was a... Maybe we talked about this. About a haunted hotel. But it was set up like the office. So it was... The ghosts really were never trained to be ghosts. They don't know what they're doing. So they're just sort of trying to scare people. But they don't... They all worked there. They were all like, you know, the... Front desk guy and the maitre d' and the whatever housekeepers and stuff like that, and it was sort of couched in the um, COVID era where three couples were all staying at this small hotel together during COVID because it was like their COVID group. Yeah, and then they start getting <laughs> terrorized by these ghosts. But the ghosts are doing like direct to camera discussions in between, sort of like mildly terrorizing these people. And eventually the ghosts learn that one of the women, her grandfather, owned the hotel and he's the reason all those people died. <laughs> and so the ghosts go kind of nuts and tap into some sort of a evil paranormal power to start really scaring the people. The, the difference being that the people are truly very scared but the ghosts aren't taking any of it very seriously for most of the thing. And I wanted that dichotomy between the people are really, like, wildly overreacting, and the ghosts are like, actually, that wasn't that scary. You know, that's true. I like it. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent, and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this, and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice.
0: I've also, you know, I don't think I've ever been um, witness to, or obviously not witness to, but um, there aren't many haunted restaurant stories. Right. What does a, what does a, what would a restaurant, if you were haunting a restaurant, what would you do? Like make the soup lukewarm
1: uh, make the top fall with the salt shaker <laughs> so there's there's a restaurant in chicago here called Paulie g's and they have uh security camera video footage of it's nighttime they're not near a train line or anything like that and the shelf that you can see sort of in the foreground of their security video stuff just falls off of it it's only one time and the building's not really connected to anything else it's not like the neighbors were having a fight and threw an anvil against the wall or something but like <laughs> it just falls down and to them that's that's as poltergeisty as they have seen you know they put that footage up online and it's spooky it's really kind of scary so i imagine it would be trickstery kind of stuff like that
0: i but i feel like i mean in the middle of the night knocking something off a shelf that's just lame like if you yeah. if you have intent as some sort of uh paranormal being wouldn't you be like knocking soup into someone's lap to scald them you'd be uh, 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 um, tipping the the coffee uh, urn a little bit more than the (laughs) waiters actually doing it so
1: that it overflows you'd be uh, making the wine go bad or something you you know this brings up the point that i always have to consider when i'm when i'm considering ghost stories which is like what is the intention of the ghost because you've got different kinds of ghosts right like you've got ghosts that just sort of hang out you've got ghosts that mess with stuff and you have ghosts that clearly went crazy and are just doing stuff right and so in a restaurant situation like why would you haunt a restaurant, especially if you had worked there? Get out. Go somewhere else. Go <laughs> haunt someplace cool, right? Maybe maybe that's why there's so few. <laughs> yeah, like I would say you don't see haunted restaurants because especially if they were people who worked there, they don't want to hang out there after work. And haunting a place is the ultimate hanging out after work.
0: Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's some sort of special magic that cooks have or there's something in a kitchen that is uh, – um, in, a, in especially like an, uh, not like a home kitchen, because you see a lot of stuff that people post about, oh, this is going on in my kitchen. Um, yeah. But like in a in a working kitchen uh, that there's something there that prevents ghosts or scares them away. So scares, Lots scares of ghosts. salt. <laughs> Lots yeah. of salt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, here, let's let's start there. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. And let's start with a ghost story. So I was working... I've told this story before, but I don't know if I've told it on this podcast. I was working at a restaurant that had been a small hotel, like an inn, like a bed and breakfast kind of thing, at some point in its history, right? And it was famously haunted. Haunted in as much as, like, the upstairs area was no longer used for rooms, like bedrooms. They had been turned into... Private dining rooms, offices, things like that, right? Because it was just one building. So that's where, like, the general manager's office was up there. But people would claim, guests would claim that they saw, like, this ghostly figure of a woman on the stairs or at the top of the stairs or whatever, right? We did not think much of it. The restaurant itself was old-ish, but, like, I mean, this is Michigan. Nothing in Michigan's been around long enough to feel like it could legitimately be haunted, right? Like, it's just not cool enough, you know? You go to, like, New Orleans. Shit in New Orleans is haunted up and down. Like, it's haunted during daytime, probably. <laughs> yeah. But so here's me standing in the bar area of the restaurant, standing up against the bar. It's We're closed. I'm waiting for my ride home or my ride to the bar or wherever we were going. The whole back of the bar is a mirror, right? So from my left where the the bar itself ends at the wall that's where the mirror starts continues all the way to the right and there's an, like a an arched gap there because that's where the bar itself ends the mirror ends there and that's how you get back into the the bar back area in the kitchen right so i'm standing there at the bar waiting for my ride to finish up you know whichever server was going to give me a lift to the bowling alley or whatever we were doing that night was finishing up in the back and in the mirror that I was facing, I saw a woman walking from my left behind me toward my right. I turned and there's nobody in the dining room behind me. I looked forward into the mirror again. She's still there walking behind me. I turned and looked again. There is nobody in the dining room, right? I look again, she's passed behind me in the mirror, in my reflection in the mirror. She gets to that archway where you go into the back and steps out of the mirror and then disappeared into that back area. And I left. I did not <laughs> wait for my ride. I didn't I didn't alert the people who were in the back that, like, yo, you're about to be encountered by a ghost. I just left. I walked. It was a long way to go. I was just like, I'm out. I'm done. Uh, I continued to work there, but I did not hang out in the bar after closing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> to this date, it's really the only time. There was one other time I saw a ghost in a mirror. Maybe that's my thing. Maybe I only see ghosts in mirrors. I did see a ghost in a mirror. Uh, easy a decade earlier than that but nothing quite so dramatic as that but it like if have you ever been so scared that you froze like your whole body froze because it was that
0: (laughs) wait what about that wasn't there a guy that showed or told you where your room was or something
1: yes I also I guess you're right I, I to this day though like that's been reported to me that that was a ghost so I worked at this private club ladies and gentlemen where the staff dormitory was a renovated hotel that used to be operated by this club and when i got there i was walking around into what i was doing and this fellow was just like oh you're here to work for the summer here let me show you where your room is and he took my name and all this kind of stuff and then i never saw that guy again and when i mentioned it to the chef he was like oh that's a ghost that's one of the guys who worked here like back in the 30s never saw him again could have been a big prank but that dude was very solid like i don't recall that like he and i shook hands or anything but he wasn't wispy or anything you know yeah
0: it wasn't just in a mirror
1: yeah yeah that would have been weird too oh welcome sir how are you and i'm like you're in a mirror what are you doing yeah no that's not that's not it
0: no i've never i've never had any experience like that where i've actually seen anything there was uh um the couple times at western um just in in a couple of the theaters there was one time i i I was uh the the crossover hallway in the shaw theater at western can get kind of creepy um, especially if it's a show and the lights are off or whatever and you yeah, just running yeah. your hand along the wall to get from one end to the other um, in the dark. Um, so that, but that's just, I mean, that could be like, Oh, the pit there is pretty creepy too. But um, there's one time when I was tr- trying to take a shortcut through the um, the multiform theater, which is a newer the newer theater of the ones that are there. And uh, I made it halfway through the space and turned around and went back out <laughs> <laughs> the way I'd come. Just because of the way I felt, it just felt, yeah. you know... So I just, I went out the other way, but I didn't see anything. It could have just been an actual person in the fifth ring looking at me, you know, and you just feel like you're being
1: watched. So it could have been like an actual person just watching me and, you know. Well, and as much as I would love to believe in ESP and aliens and ghosts and all that kind of stuff, I really don't. But then you're right. You step into a dark room, and you know whether or not there's somebody there. Yeah. And you don't have to hear something necessarily. You don't have to see, like, movement. You'll just know. You'll know a space is occupied or not. Yeah. Uh, and then you turn the light on, and there's nobody in there, and you're like, oh, now I'm in real danger because <laughs> there's, like, a demon or something in here. <laughs> I don't know. I ladies and gentlemen, if you currently work in the restaurant industry and you feel like aside from spite. Obviously, if I were to die in a restaurant and I died because of negligence by like the chef owner, yes, I would haunt that place out of spite. I would mess with them constantly. But if you just died, would you haunt a restaurant, especially one that you worked at? I would love to hear about that. Best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com uh, my instagram is chef ben randall we have a facebook page and a facebook group and steve runs a website for us in the weeds WBR.com. and uh when we get to talking about all of our uh, articles and things that we're going to talk about today steve always puts the background information about those topics up on our website if you wanted to read more and i only mention this because i just purchased some stuff from our merch section uh every <laughs> year we should talk we should mosey right into this every year uh at the end of the school year because i do work at a school i will have a barbecue for my staff it does a number of things but we can talk about my staff barbecue in a minute i did have steve design some shirts for me and i ordered some of those they're not going to be here in time for the barbecue which is a bummer but that's my fault for waiting so long uh so if you wanted to dress like me or my staff (laughs) those designs are available as well (laughs) The one this year is entirely made out of inside jokes of former employees, and uh, we're mocking them by making these shirts, and they are lovely shirts.
0: Good, good. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to let me know how they
1: go over. Oh, for sure, for sure. And so, ladies and gentlemen, if you have any ghosts – man, if, you've, if anybody's ever worked for a haunted – uh, In bed and breakfast, hotel, restaurant. Like, you know what I want to know? Is it possible to haunt a boat? Like, is there a, a day fishing boat that has just like some cranky <laughs> old fisherman guy who's on there? You know, like, I would love to hear ghost stories that are industry-based. And also, yes or no, just thumbs up, thumbs down. Maybe I should do a poll. Can we do a poll on Facebook? Maybe. Would you haunt a former employer? Not out of spite. Obviously, we all would haunt somebody out of spite but uh just like is that a place you would want to hang out for i guess eternity
0: yeah i mean well are you talking like yeah uh haunt former
1: employer or former place of employment former restaurant yeah (laughs) Yeah. like would would you be the ghost that when new people are being trained they're like oh yeah and then there's carl and the new employee's like who's carl and like well carl's this prep cook who worked here like 25 years ago when this was a different restaurant but If you ever come in and, like, all the potatoes are peeled one day, it was not the night crew because they were bored. It was Carl, the ghost. He came in overnight and just did a bunch of prep.
0: That's my kind of ghost. Or, or like, it's like, look, if you don't, if you need to learn how to Julianne right now, because if you attempt it and you get it wrong, all that stuff's ended up on the floor. Because Carl is, yeah, he is a
1: stickler for Julianne. Ooh, side note, uh, this would have been last Tuesday my father was visiting and we lost power at my house and there was a there was like a a miniature storm but it was miniature in as much as it was not very long right and it was fierce enough that a branch came down hit a transformer in one and like two blocks from me set a house on fire which was very sad i think everybody was okay but knocked out power for a couple of hours the lights flickered and then came back on and then flickered again, and then came back on in exactly the way they do in movies when ghosts are <laughs> about to show up. And I didn't think about it. I was just like, uh-oh, we're about to lose power. And the storm part had already happened, so I was like, that's weird. And I wondered if maybe somebody had hit a light pole or something. And it was roughly that. But then the lights all went out. And it was still daytime, so whatever. We got candles out, and we put candles around in case we needed to light them and whatever. And that was my daughter's thing. She was like, I thought there was going to be ghosts. <laughs> so do said, I wouldn't worry about that too much. I wouldn't worry about ghosts. <laughs>
0: Yeah, not unless you eat the prune plum jam, right. which is why it's right. still
1: in the freezer. <laughs> so, do you mind if we go right straight into my annual barbecue? Let's do it. Which has not happened yet. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you work for me, and I don't know how many people work for me who listen to this show. At least one, I think, but that's probably sporadic, because you know what? My staff hears me talk a lot. They don't need to go <laughs> home and hear me talk more. They'd be like homework. It's like the ticket printer. Uh, yeah, no joke. Yeah, maybe that's it. Like, I'm the human version of the ticket printer. They've heard <laughs> plenty of me when they leave for the day. But for the first five years that I was, it's four years I was at this job, I did a couple weeks into the summer break. I did a barbecue for my staff. This accomplished two things. The first thing is there is a bit of camaraderie there. There's a bit of like, we survived a thing. Let's all get together and have a party, whatever. And it's also a nice little way to sort it not not entice people to come back in the fall, but just to be like, you know what? I'm reinforcing that this is a nice place to work. I am a nice guy, right? Like, come over to my house, we have a barbecue, we all get to behave in a slightly different way than we would at work, because we're outside of work, but we're having a good time, whatever, right? These parties have never gotten out of hand. It's always been fine. People bring their kids, whatever. So... I am scheduling this party for Monday coming up, a couple of days from now, which it turns out is also Juneteenth, which is interesting mm-hmm. because a couple of members of my staff are African-American, and they didn't balk at it at all. They were like, well, I would have been at a barbecue anyway, so I may as well go to this one. Okay, all right, sweet. I have a Kamado Joe smoker, which I've never used as a smoker, so I'm going to break the cardinal rule of don't make something for the first time in front of company. I'm going to be smoking a seven-pound <laughs> pork shoulder. I'm going to make tacos out of that. I have wings I'm going to make, I'm going to do a uh, variety of sausages that were just mailed to me by Peter at Crooked Barn Charcuterie, they just arrived today, they look amazing, so I'm going to be firing those guys up, and, I don't know, beverages, chips, crap like that, and I'm making my staff bring other stuff, <laughs> right, so like, yeah, it's your summer off, but I need you to bring potato salad to this thing, right, that kind of thing, so was hoping to have those <laughs> shirts in in time, but that's not going to be the case, which is going to be fine you know, I'm not too worried about that part. But I am hiring in the fall. So ladies and gentlemen, if you want to have a barbecue at my house, like in a year, you could do worse <laughs> than come and work for me. Um, have you started uh, vetting yet? Not even close. So okay. how deep do I want to get into with this? So let me just put it this way. we, For the last seven years, we've operated in more or less the same way. We've changed up the menu. We've changed up some of the items, you know, we've, we've brought in some new equipment, but going into next school year, we're going to make a significant change to how the dining hall is set up, to how our menu is set up. And we're solving for a number of problems that have come up of the variety of food we're offering and the complexity of food we're offering serves our adult population really well. But we need to meet these kids where they are, right? Kids are having a tough time. Some kids are having a tough time finding enough to eat on a regular basis because we have stuff that's too complex for somebody who's like eight. Totally get it. It's a thing that's been happening with my company. Like I was like we talked about, I was in Nashville for that conference a couple of weeks ago. That's nationwide. As people are reopening their locations and we're not doing in-room dining anymore, we're not doing to-go-based, like grab and go kind of stuff, and we're getting back into the dining halls. We are all showing off, and the way that we know best to show off as chefs is complexity bold flavors you know wild food and we're seeing people going at uh, clients and kids and teachers going you know what this is great for like the 45 to 75 year old crowd but like first graders can't eat this food so we're making a huge change where instead of having two hot lines that are mirrors that have the same chicken shawarma um mixed steamed vegetables jasmine rice tofu shawarma pita that kind of thing and it's the same on both lines we'll have that And the other line will be plain pasta, marinara, Alfredo, right? It does increase the workload. Ideally, we'll be decreasing the total volume for both of those as if we would have done a pasta day or if we had done a shawarma day. But it's going to mean that when I do hire somebody, that person's going to need to know how to cook. I'm not just hiring a server, which is the position that I need to fill. I need to hire somebody who can also cook for that second station. And so it's going to be tricky to do for the fall
0: that will increase food costs for you won't it
1: probably that's where really really smart if i do say so myself menu (laughs) writing comes in right so like if we do a pasta station two days in a row on a monday and a tuesday i have to have a way to run a minestrone run a pasta salad run mac and cheese right do something because we're getting there's no we're not going to be allowed to run out that just ain't going to happen And for the beginning part of the school year, until we figure out, because we have production records for everything that we've ever made. We know how many hot dogs to make. We know how much chicken shawarma to make. We know how much uh, braised brisket to make, right? In fact, I know all those numbers off the top of my head. We've been doing this for seven years. The beginning of the school year, the kids are going to go absolutely apeshit for this food. We'll have kids who will have the shawarma and the pasta. Not how we've designed it to run, but we need to be prepared for that. And it'll balance out the... Kids will figure out the options pretty quickly, but we're going to see a lot of usage and a lot of waste and a lot of cost right off the bat. I'm going to let my client know, but, like, there's no way around that. That's just what's going to happen. With kids, if you give them variety, they'll take one of everything. Right. (laughs) You know, I have children of my own. They do the same thing. Like, you go to a hotel, the next time you're at a hotel, if you go to the breakfast, look around at kids' plates at that breakfast, the free, like, lobby breakfast or whatever. The kids will have, like, 400 pounds of food. Those kids aren't going to eat all those things. But if they're available, they're just going to take one of everything. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be education on our part. We're going to have to be not – we don't tell the kids, no, that's not our thing you know but there's going to be an educational component to it where we're going to like fake guilt them into being like look every time you take something and don't eat it it produces waste what we want to do is have less waste as a species you know and the school that i work for is coherent enough you know they take those things (laughs) into consideration they build it into their curriculums in some cases like some of the science classes talk about resource management composting things like that like we can build it into their curriculum to a certain degree it's going to okay. be rough in the beginning, though.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and just another uh, another instance of rewriting a menu. How many times has it been the past couple of years now? <laughs> oh, man.
1: So, throughout COVID, I've said this before, throughout COVID, in two years, we had six different service models. Yeah. And that was not because things weren't working. It was as restrictions eased or things changed we had to adapt to that and honestly we were lauded for that we were told you guys are doing such a great job you're so flexible and i was like no this is exhaustion right this isn't flexibility (laughs) this is sprinting it's frenzy this is sprinting and then you have me sprint in a different direction right like if you ever watch a deer (laughs) change direction at full run their skinny little legs look like they're just gonna shatter i don't know how they do it but that's what we did for two years six times
0: yeah and you were lucky enough not to get hit by cars (laughs)
1: yeah that too right So, I don't know. It's Right now, I'm stressing it out all day today. I probably put in four hours of just menu writing. I wrote one week worth of menus. I wrote five days. And and it's not like I have a template now. Like, I have to do that three more times until I have that four-week cycle. And then I can look at it and be like, A, does this work? B, who the hell do I need to hire? C, how do I write a, a job description for an ad for this? Right, And then I need to still run it past my client to be like, hey, is this what you guys want? Because they're terrible at communicating. So <laughs> I'm 75% sure that the client and I now have an agreement about what they want and what we're capable of doing. That 25% has got me a little nervous. <laughs> Yeah, This is what makes it different than a restaurant. Like I've always said, ladies and gentlemen, if you're in the industry and you are stressed out, you're burned out, you're checked out, any of the outs, if you're any sort of an out, you (laughs) could do worse than to look into institutional, like educational food service. I would be happy to talk offline about my company, right? I don't want to trash talk the big guys too much. There's a lot of advantages to working for a Compass, a Meridian, an Aramark, a Sodexo, one of those guys. There's a lot of advantage to that. I don't work for a company that size. I work for a smaller boutique food service operation that just does, you know, K 12, military academies, some small colleges. We don't even do universities. We don't do office buildings. We don't do medical food service, none of that. It is a pretty sweet gig if you have the kind of background I do. When customers come into your restaurant, they automatically bring with them conflict is the wrong word but just like uncontrollables right whereas my job once i have these menus written lots of what i do is already controlled getting to the point where i've gotten the menus and all that kind of stuff written that's the hard part that i'm doing right now. it's kind of nice i have the summer off usually it doesn't take me all that long to do this but starting from scratch this year it's it's going to take me a minute now, it would be somewhat similar,
0: I would imagine, though still not the same thing, but somewhat similar to a situation if you were, like, um, if you were the chef partner or or if you there were two chefs that were partnered. I mean, the the going to the client and getting stuff approved or at yeah. least having someone else look at it and give feedback, sort of like an editor with a novel or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that kind of thing happens when you're in a weird situation where you're only co-owner of something, right?
1: Get yeah, yeah. Yeah, Well, and it's... My company doesn't do cookie-cutter, right? So we don't go to a client and say, here's what we do, we're going to dump it on top of your operation, right? That's not what we do. What we say to the clients, to potential clients, is we say, look, here's the bare minimum of what we offer. From here, here's everything else we can do. So, like, up to a point, it's, this is the way we do stuff. And above that, it's kind of a la carte. Sort of, right? Like, it depends on the situation. A college which I'm going to be at a college next week, a college does different food service, especially a retail operation, than what I do, right? So if you're serving adults in a retail situation, you approach that differently, then I'm serving children in what's called a board-inclusive program, which means they don't pay anything at the door. They just walk in, eat as much food as they want, throw it on the ground, they walk away. All of that is <laughs> is just it's one thing, and it's part of their tuition. So... Those are just different structures, right? We have different, our budgets look different, right? Like the considerations of like menu mix and stuff like that is different. So when I balance cost across a week where I'm like, well, I'm going to do brisket or I'm going to do burgers or I'm going to do roast beef, you know, I'm going to do a high cost item on Friday. I'm going to run a pasta on Monday in my previous setup. And that's going to balance that out, right? Pasta is a super cheap item for me. Meat of any sort these days is a very expensive item for me. But I don't have the advantage of a retail where that pays back for itself based on my pricing. It's the same cost. Each one of these kids is worth $2.95 a day to me. That's what it is. You know, like that's the money I have to play around with. So if I'm feeding them caviar or I'm feeding them, you know, peanut butter sandwiches, that's this I I get the same amount of money to play with. And so that's up to me to balance that across the week, across the month, and across the school year. Fun. (laughs) And then Costs change constantly when I'm ordering stuff, so you know. Yeah. Have eggs gone down for you yet? So w- we talked about this briefly, but really, eggs never went up for me because we still use the um, oh right right Phil's cage-free eggs. Although they went from forty-two dollars for a fifteen-dozen case to forty-six dollars, but commodity eggs still really have not come back down. Commodity eggs used to be like nineteen dollars for fifteen dozen; they topped out at about a hundred and twenty dollars. For 15 dozen. They came back down. But they're still easily $70. Yeah.
0: I saw something saying they should come back down. But I haven't checked in uh, recently around here. And and when I checked in with Kayla. She said they haven't. They've come down a little bit. But not
1: much. I mean, mine come... Out of the backs of chickens at my house, so like that's yes. a different thing entirely. Although we did have a couple of days where my chickens didn't give any eggs at all, and so I've been trying to give them more kitchen scrap to just kind of like shake up their diet a little bit because it's warm out. There's no reason they shouldn't be kicking out at least an egg a day. So I don't know. I hope they're not. I hope they're feeling okay. Yeah. They would. not Would they eat them? No. Okay. Yes, I don't believe so. We've never seen that with mine. Um, how's your garden doing? Garden's going gangbusters. So, all of my tomatoes, I have two tomato plants that now have flowers on them, which they don't seem tall enough to want to have flowers already, but these are varietals I've also never grown before, so who knows. So, I'll be looking at tomatoes in the next probably three weeks, which is rad. Uh, My cucumbers and my zucchini are going ape, which is awesome. And that's pretty much all I have going right now. Uh, I'm trying to rehab a part of the front yard with a mixture of grass and marigolds and uh, English white clover, but that hasn't taken off quite so much. That area gets, like, full direct sunlight for, like, 19 hours a day. So it's tough <laughs> to keep it damp out there long enough for the seeds to catch. I might have to get, like, I might have to mow the yard, rake all of that extra grass and stuff on top of that so it can keep some moisture underneath. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. Nice, very nice. Um, you? It's uh, Things are going well. Our, our tomato plants, some of our tomato plants have, uh, I don't, they haven't blossomed yet, but the 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 buds are there. So nice. they'll be they'll be doing that soon. Um, the tomatillo plant if might just take over everything. I'm <laughs> not sure. I googled the other day. What was I looking for? I forget why I was looking up tomatillo plants, um, and we thought maybe it was going to blow over um, when that we got windy, and sure. um, instead it left out a maniacal laugh. It just grew crooked. <laughs> um, so now it's got like a bend in it. And uh, I saw this thing and the guy was like, yeah, so uh, I planted a couple tomatillo plants and a tree fell on one and the other one got to be about five feet across. And uh, he was still harvesting tomatillos in November wow. until I think a hard freeze and ended up with like over 100 tomatillos.
1: Now, I don't recall. Did you plant them on purpose?
0: Yes, because okay. it was part of the salsa garden, but we didn't gotcha, see, we didn't gotcha. know that they were monsters. So what I think I need to do is move the onions that were near it because it's it's just going to be crazy big. So I think I have to risk moving the onions versus mm. leaving them there and pretty much dooming them to uh, be tomatillo fodder.
1: I thought I had tomatillos at the old house a couple of years ago because we just get volunteers that come up in our garden because of the compost. And I had thrown away some, or I had composted some tomatillo something, whatever. Turned out they were called ground cherries, which is a different thing entirely. Uh, They were pretty good, though. I ate some of them. Yeah, the
0: tomatillos, um, I know that they say you're supposed to harvest them when they're a little green because that's when they're kind of tangy, which is what people like for the salsa. Um, but I guess they'll get, they get sweeter as they get more ripe. So, uh, I don't, I still haven't looked up recipes to see what else we can do with them. I know we've got some blossoms. One, uh, two have actually blossomed already and there's a bunch more buds. So we we may end up with a bumper crop of tomatillos and then, uh, um, hopefully, uh, salsa verde is easy to bake.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, the trick really is, at least for me, I, you have guessed over, uh, uh, electric. Electric. All right, you're going to do this under the broiler then. You want to crisp them up a little bit. So you can either cut them or not. Oil them a little bit and I'll put them right directly on the fire. Like oh, turn my burner on and just put them on there. But you could do it under the broiler as well. And it'll just you just want to get a little color on there. The caramelization also helps balance out that acidity a little bit cuz the salsa verde is always going to be kind of acidic. It's going to be those high notes, it's going to be citrusy and whatever. But that uh, that char, that carameliness it rounds it out, you know. And then, and then, what else is in it? Uh, jalapenos, cilantro, lime juice—pretty okay. much all I do. Uh, onions as well, garlic. I knew I, it
0: wasn't terribly complicated. I knew you didn't put regular tomatoes in it because it's always like very green. It's there's no like weird muddy
1: right color. We I faked a salsa verde at the end of last year because I just we just continued to get tomatoes even though it started to get kind of cold out so I harvested a bunch of tomatoes when they were green and I made salsa verde out of those tomatoes have a higher water content than tomatillos do tomatillos are just more solid throughout and so it was not a great salsa verde but what I discovered is that I could use it as almost like a simmer sauce for chicken breasts and it worked out great it was a salsa verde you'd get at at, uh, chili's Right, right, right. Or if like IHOP had a whole bunch of different pictures of salsa, this would have been the salsa verde. Yeah, it's the, it's it's the uh, syrup verde. <laughs> <laughs> what if you had uh, like like you're in another country that's not Central America, and it was sort of like a Taco Bell, except it was the IHOP version of a Taco Bell, where You basically just got the exact same taco, no matter what you ordered, but they had all of those different salsas in little (laughs) jugs. That would be hilarious. (laughs) The International House of Tacos, IHOT. Yeah, IHOT. (laughs) Although that sounds really cocky. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I've got with that. Give it a go. Good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's all my my garden updates. I have yet to, uh, at the last minute, like I do, go, you know what, I'd rather, and then try to grow something else too and run out of time, because usually that's (laughs) the kind of thing I do. I still have two little plants
0: that I think are peppers of some kind, maybe habanero, maybe, maybe something else that are the same size as when I put them out there outside. Uh, They're still alive. As far as I can tell, they've just, you know, I don't, so I don't know if there's like later in the season, they're just gonna have a growth spurt and, and pop out whatever pepper it is, or if they're just doomed to be tiny, tiny little seedlings forever.
1: Well, I need to trim down the jalapenos that I have, because I do have these two little clusters of like 15 jalapeno plants together, and yeah, you're right, they're like two inches tall, and they have not gotten any bigger, and I think they're fighting with each other, so I need to go in and cut down, get it down to like four, I guess, but my two pepper plants, my two like sweet pepper plants, are also just shooting up, right, like this is that uh, summer between eighth and ninth grade, where all of a sudden you become six foot tall and your voice changes, right, like that's what's going on with my sweet peppers. Nice. My daughter will eat sweet peppers all day so i'm I'm not gonna lose on that bed at all like whatever we grow out of that she will just eat them so <laughs> I can basically those two are for her she can just eat those plants sweet peppers are well bell peppers okay
0: so I'm fine with like red red pepper or an orange yellow and yellow one but green peppers for whatever reason I'm just not I feel like
1: if you when you put them in something everything turns into green pepper yeah It just permeates everything. There's no such thing as a green pepper is the problem. So green peppers are the immature, like unripe version of red, orange, yellow, purple, any of those other peppers. So you're getting an underripe, sour, strongly flavored because it's not done yet thing. Yeah. Like imagine any fruit if you were to eat it. Like you get a Granny Smith apple, but get one that's not ripe yet. It's going to be really sour. That's what a green pepper is. So,
0: did someone one day go out and pick peppers that was colorblind or something and then get a bunch of green ones and that's how we ended up with green pepper? Or did someone, like, forget to go out and pick peppers when they were supposed to and then a week goes by or however long and they go out
1: and suddenly they're different colors and they're like, what's this? I think it's a trick. I think it's a grocery store marketing trick. I think we were fooled as a country years and years ago, 50 years ago, to think that green peppers are a a real thing so that they could rush peppers to market and get and get paid for them before they're cuz every minute that a, a a plant is continuing to grow that you want to sell it's costing you money you know so if they could harvest them earlier and get them to the store and go no they're supposed to be green and then trick four generations of americans into thinking green peppers are good then they've they've won Aha.
0: but it's uh I mean, as far as far – as, I think now you can find pizza with other – with maybe with some other bell pepper. But yeah. But it was
1: green pepper was the only thing you'd ever get on pizza for the longest yep. time. And you're absolutely right. Permeates everything. Now you give yeah. me a roasted red pepper on a pizza, I'm there. Yeah. It's sweet. It's a little bit bitter. It's been kind of caramelized. Like, give me all that. But yeah. no, not a green pepper. If we're talking stuffed peppers,
0: if it's green, no thank you. But if, right. it's, some, if it's red or yellow or whatever, then I'm – yes, thank you.
1: Uh, there are some – spicy peppers that are mature and are green jalapenos poblanos right some of these things are fine right so if you give me a chili relleno which is a stuffed um i just said the name of it poblano poblano jeez uh (laughs) i don't know if i'm sick or if i'm starting to develop allergies but i have not felt well for the last couple of days so, if you give me a stuffed poblano? Yes, it is supposed to be that color. That's totally fine. I'm here for that. But just like a big bell pepper that's green? Nah. Put yeah. it put it back. Let it let it ripen. Then I'll have it.
0: Yeah. I'm same boat, same boat.
1: Yeah, I hope I'm not actually sick. This happens to me every single year. You just don't notice because you're going so hard you are working so much and all this kind of stuff it's just like my body goes i don't have time to be sick right now and then as soon as i go on a vacation or i hit a a break in the school year or especially when school ends all of a sudden i'm like oh and i sleep for like three days straight and then i'm like (laughs) sick and i'm sniffly and all this and that's happened this year but i don't know if it's just that maybe i've developed allergies i hope that's not the case but we'll see is the uh, canadian wildfire smoke gone because
0: i i didn't notice that like visually so much but in terms of uh sinuses and, and whatnot
1: ah no i mean we didn't see any of it here in chicago okay it's missing us to the north
0: all right so i was gonna say maybe maybe it's that but it's allergies i mean uh,
1: this was a banner year i guess for cottonwood trees well, oh um, yeah you could see snow drifts in chicago of yeah. cottonwoods especially out by the lakeshore so there's got to be some kind of pollen in the air which yet. sucks, I guess like I've never had allergies, which has been great for me, but I guess maybe it's my time. I don't oh, know
0: oh you, you've never had hay fever or anything
1: No, not really. I had asthma okay. when I was a kid but I was allergic to stuff that wasn't seasonal. I was allergic to like cats. yeah so I just didn't hang out with cats. It seemed to be a right. pretty easy fix. <laughs> yes <laughs> Yep yeah so gotcha. I would like to start today with a ridiculous article. From Food Safety News, ladies and gentlemen, obviously my favorite uh, periodical (laughs) that gets emailed directly to me. This is from June 1st. Just knee-jerk reaction to this headline, Steve. Energy drinks recalled in Canada because of high levels of caffeine. (laughs) Uh, I thought that was the point of an energy drink. I also thought that was the point, and I need to figure out how to get my hands on... Uh, G Fuel brand energy drinks before all of the uh, recalls happen. So t Imports and GPAE Trading Corporation are recalling G Fuel brand energy drinks because of high levels of caffeine, which sounds really stupid to me. Too much caffeine can cause severe disturbances in the heart and nervous system. Ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly what they are designed to do. <laughs> that is what an energy drink does. It disturbs your heart and nervous system. Uh, Back to the article. According to the recall posted by the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, who are a bunch of killjoys, I guess, the (laughs) recalled products have been sold nationally in Canada and online. Now, here's what I love the most about this. Beyond the fact that it's crazy that they would recall an energy drink for having too much caffeine. I also don't know if 300 milligrams is a lot of caffeine. I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. I'm just like, this is an energy drink? Great. I will drink it. The names, Steve. The people who name energy drinks... It's you and me. So, <laughs> one of these is called Ice Shatter Energy Drink. Yeah. One of them is called Hype Sauce, Energy Drink, and one of them is called Pink Drip Energy Drink. Which I'll be honest, that's the one I'm most interested in.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think all uh, energy drinks, um, not just G Fuel, but I think this is what you were saying as well, have ridiculous names. Uh, and I wonder here if it's not—it's not that I th- this headline might be a bit of a mis, uh, misleading, might be a little misleading, because it also says, um, no cautionary statement to limit number of servings per day. So maybe that's the issue. It'd be like cigarettes without a warning label. So uh, if, okay. If they had the, the warning, then maybe they'd be okay, because I also don't know, maybe we should do a quick Google on uh, <clears throat> what is the limit of caffeine
1: per day one should have um well okay so a standard cup of coffee has 95 milligrams of caffeine so this one bottle container can whatever it is would contain a little over three times that amount in a day let's just say in a morning i will drink eight cups of coffee so i'm not worried about 300 grams of milligram of caffeine at a time 300 milligrams of caffeine at a time.
0: You say you're not worried about it? Is that what you said?
1: No. So this also comes up from prolab.com. 200 milligrams of caffeine is about half of what many consider a safe amount of daily caffeine consumption. So you're probably correct, Steve. It's probably lack of warning label that is uh, triggering this recall because 300 milligrams sounds like it's not even beyond the daily recommended amount.
0: Yeah, so here this is from CaffeineInformer.com, com, which Ooh. you know it's credible because it's CaffeineInformer.com. dot com, right? Uh, but it said this says uh, for healthy adults with no medical issues, it's general, generally agreed that three hundred to four hundred milligrams of caffeine can be consumed daily without any adverse effects. And then now I have
1: Informer by Snow stuck in my head. Remember that song, <laughs> Caffeine Informer. <laughs>
0: yeah um so it says 400 milligrams of caffeine is equivalent to 5.2 shots of espresso okay i'm in two five-hour energy shots okay what's your uh what's your
1: um my daily intake usually it's about two okay i was gonna say record what's your record I have done three in a day but usually that's like one of those 15 hour workday kind of things you got to spread them out too like yeah. you can't you can't do one and then be like that didn't take no you've gotta the four hours in between it's really a good a a, a, a good rule of thumb uh one Starbucks Venti brewed
0: coffee so that's 20 ounces of brewed coffee um two and a half monster energy drinks huh. uh five eight fluid ounce red Bulls. Or, in case, like me, you're more of a Coke guy, 11, uh, almost 12 Cokes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of Coke. Yeah, yes, that's <laughs> a lot of Coke. So, so I mean, so that also means then, if you think about it that way, that you'd have to drink 11 Cokes. G- getting that all at once is a, is a lot of caffeine. Yeah. Um, But because you're not going to be able to drink 11 Cokes in the same amount of time you can drink one pink drip...
1: I right. presume. Right.
0: How how many? Uh, the size is 473 milliliters. That doesn't help me. Right. Stinkin'. Convert that to
1: ounces, Canada. Frantic math. Yeah. <laughs> the best kind. 16 ounces. It's two cups. Okay. Sixteen. So, and that's, that's so two cokes.
0: Yeah. Uh, is it? It cokes eight ounces. Uh, Twelve fluid ounces in a can of coke.
1: Oh, okay, so one and a half. Yeah. So if you're um, getting all of the caffeine from 11 of those into one and a half of those, maybe that is kind of a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: I think that would be why you need the warning, the the limit, right? You yeah. You'd be there like, hey, uh, you only, only let
1: your pink drip once per however yeah. many hours. Yeah. Hype sauce. Hype sauce I'm pretty excited about, too. Anything with sauce in it? Hype Sauce
0: is the one created by Guy Fieri. Maybe maybe that's what the G is for. (laughs) This is Guy's fuel, and it's his Canada uh,
1: energy drink brand. Yikes. So, ladies and gentlemen, again, if you are a longtime listener of this show, you know about my... uh, Long and abiding love of energy drinks. And maybe this is also a thing that's contributing to the fact that after I finished work for the school year, I really did sleep for a lot of the first three days that I was off work. Maybe it is a little bit of the, like, weaning off of energy drinks kind of thing. Where, like, I get to midday, and I've had lunch, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, and then my brain shuts off, right? Because I have not tanked back up.
0: (laughs) Here's an interesting thing. Um, again, from Caffeine Informer. Caffeine Informer. How long will the caffeine be in my system? Um, is what this is about. The half-life of caffeine. Um, so here... Uh, caffeine is no different and takes a certain amount of time to work through your system and can, uh, and be metabolized by your liver. One study showed that the half-life of caffeine in healthy adults, um, which is how long it takes your body to uh, metabolize half of the amount of caffeine that you've ingested... 5.7 hours. Okay. That means Bad, if you consume bad-tracked. 200 milligrams of caffeine, at, mid, uh, ca- caffeine rather, at midday, you would still have 100 milligrams in your system at 5.45 p.m.
1: And I would say everybody who's an adult who drinks caffeine on the regular knows this. That, like, you get to an age where if I have a cup of coffee after about 7 o'clock at night, I'm not going to sleep. Right? I'm just not processing it very fast. Used to be yeah. that... I could do whatever at any given time and still fall asleep. No problem. Right. But you just, you <laughs> get older, your body changes a little bit, but no, you're not wrong. Like it's good to space that stuff out too. Like you have a cup of coffee or three and then you wait a couple hours and have some more so that you can always have that like steady drip <laughs> going on that. Pain yeah. drip.
0: <laughs> you know, um, the, the being, being at this, uh, stage of life as well, I find, and this is, so this leads into then a restaurant that I want to happen. Um, I want someone to create. I find that um, eating certain things at certain times also lead to different dreams. Oh, yeah. I haven't cracked the code yet. Exactly. But like I know sometimes like, okay I shouldn't have had that snack that close to bedtime. So maybe it's sugar Um, like I shouldn't have had that, you know, that late in the evening because my dreams were messed up. Um, and I think caffeine, to some extent, does that too. Is like, okay, I had caffeine. I did go to sleep, but my dreams were like, they were a lot of them, and uh, they were interesting. So, so
1: I, ha- like, speaking of ghosts, like, you have dreams where you're like, you're a blob of mustard. You might be a bit of undigested <laughs> beef. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I want someone
0: to crack the code in terms of okay, what what leads to good dreams, what leads to nightmares, yeah. and then um, create that restaurant so it's like uh, that's your that's your after hours menu. You know, if you're open twenty four hours or whatever, it's like we're only going to be serving this, or or you serve that to any you, you have your uh if you're going to bed within the next however long, this is what you should eat, and avoid this, you know, because uh, that's going to lead to weird and interesting dreams. But it might be vary from person to person. I
1: don't know. So I, I see two avenues for that. One of which is, you're running a small boutique hotel, and after say nine o'clock at night, you offer up. The good night menu, which is, if you want to have these specific types of dreams, we've curated these particular food items. You can order them, you can have them, and it'll give you a certain type of dream. Tough to counter whether or not that's working if you're a hotel guest, but it could be fun, right? The yeah. other thing is full-blown cult-based quack medicine, where you <laughs> tailor a diet for a client who's paying you bajillions of dollars specifically for dream manipulation.
0: Yeah, but you'd have to you'd have to have some kind of study though, right? It'd be like, okay, uh, okay, Mister Randall, for the next month, all you can eat between the hours of four and nine is bananas. Right. And then tell us what you dream. Keep a notebook. Write down all your dreams, and then and then you do that for a variety of different foods, or maybe a variety of different types of foods. Um, if you're going, if you're testing for. Uh, ingredients more than you're testing for a specific food
1: well same way that you would do an exclusion diet for an allergy
0: yeah right and then and then it'd be like okay so bananas made him dream this and then uh when when he was only eating pie crust it made him dream this (laughs) so the banana cream pie should equal this type (laughs) of dream right right and and suddenly your scanners and someone's head's exploding
1: yes Yeah. yeah well my father dreams only in black and white which is one of the weirdest things i've ever heard in my whole life if he drinks chocolate milk before bed, vivid insane technicolor dreams, according to him. <laughs> He's reported all this to us. He's got no reason to lie about it cuz that's the weirdest fucking thing you could possibly lie about. Like I can't if I were to sit down and try to come up with a weirder unprovable lie, I don't know that I could come up with one. But he just mentioned it. He found it was he wasn't until he was in college that he found out that people dreamed in color. Yeah. And his college like buddies were going You're crazy. There's something wrong with your brain.
0: I I wanted to say that I've heard that, but I've known you for so long that it may have just been from you about your dad. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Um, one thing I
1: have noticed is that if I take NyQuil for whatever reason, that's wild dreams. And it's like sleep paralysis style wild dreams where you're just like not in control and it's a horror movie and whatever. Like I've I've discovered that when I avoid that stuff.
0: I I do love the idea that chocolate milk is like sleep LSD for your dad.
1: (laughs) Right. This is a guy who – my grandmother was such a bad cook that my dad just didn't like pizza. He just thought he was weird, but he didn't like pizza. Then he got to college and had pizza, and he was like, what is this? And they were like, it's pizza, you fucking weirdo. And my grandmother had been making such bad pizza my dad's whole life that he – Thought he didn't like the entire like group of food <laughs> called pizza, but he was just having the worst one. <laughs> that's
0: that's, I mean that's some talent because I've never had a pizza that was so bad that I was like, no, no. You thanks.
1: can you can still get this product. Chef Boy RD makes a pizza kit right, which is this like flour mix that you just add water to, and then you kind of like press it out. It's sort of like a biscuit dough texture, and then there's a can of Like a marinara sauce with chopped up meat in it. doesn't even really say what kind of meat it is. And then there's a bag of like, it's somewhere between shredded mozzarella and Parmesan. Somewhere in that weird world. That's what my grandmother would make for them and say that it was pizza. It is not pizza. My dad bought a box of it and brought it to me. He got me two. He said, make this and then see if you can make it and have it actually be good. And I failed. I was unable to make that a good tasting pizza product. Wow. It is so bad. We would do. Um,
0: most recently, we got a bunch of frozen um, pizza crust, but uh, right. we would do the Jiffy mix pizza crust, um, which yeah. is uh, is cheap. And I know it's a cop out because pizza crust is real easy to make anyway. But true. Um, and and we we those are fine. Uh, we always thought those were fine. But uh, yeah, uh, I don't think we'd ever we've ever done the uh, Chef Boyardee pizza pizza kit.
1: Let me tell you right now, don't waste your money. It could be a nickel. (laughs) Do not buy that thing. I tried. I tried to I tried to make it. I tried to make it good. But like I wasn't gonna just go, oh well, okay, I'm gonna throw a bunch of other stuff on top of it. Like I made it and we tried it and it was gross. And I was like, okay. And so then having had that experience, I was like, what can I do with what's in this box already and possibly make it better without, you know, throwing a whole bunch of extra cheese on it or whatever. There's no way with just what's in that box to manipulate it even with the skills that I have to make it good. (laughs) <laughs> so the, yeah gross Interesting. so uh, uh why did
0: your grandmother like it then was it like uh, depression era something or other
1: or I, I don't like to speak ill of the dead according to my dad she was just a god awful terrible cook okay. <laughs> and you know what there's a spectrum there right so like I'm a really good cook there has to be somebody on the other end it was my grandmother, I guess, on my dad's side of the family. My grandma on my mom's side was a technically proficient cook. She didn't enjoy it, but she knew how to cook for, like, a mob. She knew how to cook for, like, a bajillion (laughs) people at a time. Whereas, I I honestly don't remember eating a lot of food at my grandma's house. Whenever we would have events, Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever, uh, my Aunt Jean, my dad's younger sister, would do all the cooking. And, like, she and my uncle Bill owns a restaurant, and then my dad is a pretty good cook. I think it was out of self defense. I think they all learned how to cook <laughs> so that they didn't have to keep eating my grandma's food.
0: Well, you know, maybe it was a thing. Maybe it was more of a thing because um, uh, the Alinea guy, yeah, found out that he had tongue cancer, right? Because he kept telling people that they needed to see he couldn't taste, yeah, um, and uh, like they, he got he got it taken care of. Um, but, but that was how, so maybe your grandmother, not, not tongue cancer, but maybe like she legitimately had issues with her taste buds. That could be. So it wasn't that she was, uh, knowingly a bad cook. She just couldn't taste. So, you know, she could never be a good cook because how could you be a good
1: cook if you can't taste, right? Uh, Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Like, like I said, she, I don't recall her cooking a lot when I was a kid. So... They maybe they were trying to spare us the next generation, you know, from my grandma's yeah. cooking. I don't know.
0: Now, don't we have a, we had a listener, or do we? Don't we still have a listener, possibly who has taste issues, or is it smell issues? I don't I remember. forget. She's overseas, and I have forgotten. Oh as
1: well. yeah, we had we had we have a listener in. Oh, is this our listener in Germany? I can't. I remember thought so. Who. Some sort of a digestive issue. You're absolutely right, but I forget what that was now. It's been a while. Um, so if you're still listening,
0: because <laughs> it has been a while, let us <laughs> let us know because I know that you, um, she's an appre- she appreciates good food. Yeah. Even with whatever it is, so I might be way off base there in saying that if you if you have taste issues that you couldn't be a good cook because maybe maybe you can maybe you know. Um, and maybe your grandmother is just horrible
1: <laughs> well, at cooking. And the thing is, is that like I also skew way to the right, as it were, just because that's the way I'm gesturing. As far as like I find food to be very important. Right. For a lot of people out there, like my sister-in-law has a thing where she's probably one of these super tasters. Right. The kind of people that become sommeliers and things like that. Just a greater density of taste buds in her mouth. To her, what happens is food becomes overwhelming. She's super skinny because of it, which I'm kind of jealous of. But she also doesn't care. Like food is kind of a problem for her, so she just sort of doesn't care. Uh, I am not going to accuse my grandma of being a super taster, but like for pe- for some people, food is just not a thing. It's just like look, <laughs> I put gas in the car, I put food in my body, like I, whatever. It's the same thing. So I, you know, yeah, I, that's a foreign concept to me. But I'm sure there are people out there who that's just their. They have other things that they find tremendously important.
0: Yeah. It's a necessity. It's not an experience.
1: Yeah. Now, my mom, also a technically proficient cook, doesn't really like it. She enjoys baking, but for her, it was the effect, right? She wanted to have people around the table. And so if food is the way to get the people around the table, done. She was there for that. Yeah. I still make food for my kids that is nostalgia-based food that my mom made right if i make chicken and dumplings for my kids it's not because that's what they want they enjoy it but it's because i made it because i feel connected to my mom when i make that and then now my kids like that's a three generation thing now yeah you're you're cramming those uh memories into their head whether (laughs) they like it or not associations yeah (laughs) (laughs) well and so then they're gonna have fry bread tacos as a sense memory and as having you know importance and connection and people around the table and all that that they get to then pass on to their kids if they want to have kids or to their friends or whatever you know
0: yeah um do you what what's do you have a really any just horrible food memories
1: like um other than doritos i was gonna say it's tough to separate and this always happens. Like, we have a, we have an article that I had brought up for us to talk about. Uh, restaurant worker got 100 people sick with norovirus. Like, it's tough to separate. I was probably in the beginning part of being sick. And then I ate some inadvisable food and I threw up and I associated with that food, even though I probably had, like, the flu. So most of it, yeah, like, I remember. You remember those gummy candies that look like a wedge of orange or, like, a bunch of grapes yeah, or whatever like yeah, they got sugar yeah. on the outside of them? Yep. I got sick and threw those up one time, and I cannot separate it. Even though my thinking brain is like, you were probably just sick. Yeah. And then whatever you ate, you were going to throw up. So, that. Uh, but I don't know that I can think of anything where I was just like, boy, this food is horrible.
0: I can I can remember I remember the types of food we ate at my grandparents' in Iowa. And, and no bad memories there. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't there's nothing that sticks out as oh you know Grandma's version of this this yeah. particular thing um, is, is what I really need or anything like that. Um, but I know I know food memories because they're you know sense m- multiple senses at play can be very powerful and can bring you back
1: to uh, a moment. Years ago, a friend of mine named Tim died died of a heroin overdose in February of uh, 2016. And I was at his funeral, right? No shade on the funeral home and the memorial staff and all that kind of stuff, but there was the funeral. And then we all went, within the same building, we all went next door and had this, like, community hall-style meal, right? And I'm sitting with a bunch of other restaurant people. We had all worked for Tim. And we're eating this food, and I didn't want to be the guy who, like, kicked off the, like, memorial luncheon with a joke... But it was dead silent, and I swear to you we were all thinking the same thing. And I looked at this guy next to me, Bobby, and I went, Tim would have fucking hated this food. (laughs) (laughs) And Bobby goes, man, I'm glad somebody said it. Because it was was just not good, and it wasn't really anybody's fault. Like, I'm sure they didn't get gourmet food for this thing, right? It was just like fried chicken and potato salad and all this kind of stuff. But it was just not – like, everything about it, every single thing was off a little bit, enough for it to just be like – None of this is good. Tim would have hated this whole thing. This is actually kind of disrespectful to his career. But <laughs> it also got to be funny. And then that kickstarted started the conversation we all told stories about Tim. So I guess it worked out. But, yeah, yeah it was embarrassing. That was
0: their secret plan all along. <laughs> Yeah. The worst I
1: guess the worst thing
0: in recent memory for me would be the donuts that we had that were like Instagram donuts that I talked yeah. about ages ago but but that wasn't something I mean I remember them and I didn't like them but it's not like that was a you know that's a, a core memory for me that's also related to other things like I couldn't tell you I know we were in Florida but I couldn't tell you what trip that was yeah. down there uh you know to uh, visit in-laws or to go on vacation or what I I don't remember but I know they were bad donuts and I wouldn't get them again
1: yeah, I mean, I guess I'm lucky I didn't have any sort of traumatic food when I was a kid because nothing yeah. jumps to mind being like, oh, I went to spend the night at this kid's house and they made the weirdest food ever. Like, nah, I don't I don't recall any of that. I, I, I was always a fairly adventurous eater, so there's that. Like, I, I don't know that I would have reacted poorly to seeing something that was out of the ordinary for me.
0: Yeah. I know my niece, um, this is fairly recent, I may have mentioned it, but... Uh, was like, hey, mom, can I have some of your water? And she said, sure. And she took a sip, and it was coffee. And she's like, am I going to die? <laughs> so I don't know if that will be a core memory for her or not, accidentally drinking the coffee. Um, That's funny. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, things like, I know I don't like tartar sauce, but I don't remember why. I know there's a reason in there. I think it's a texture thing. I yeah. don't like applesauce, but when I was sick once as a kid, the doctor said, sprinkle it in applesauce. It's like applesauce out of a jar. Yeah. Um, and I can't. I just can't eat it. Uh, I don't, I like apples, I don't mind sauces, but I can't eat applesauce. Well,
1: Hype Sauce for sure. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I really hope that Hype Sauce is not just applesauce flavored, because that'd be gross. Especially if it's the same texture. You don't want an energy drink that's the texture of applesauce. No. I mean, do you want anything other than applesauce to be the texture
0: of applesauce? No. No, you really don't. Cause it's a definitely a unique texture as far as <laughs> yeah. you know culinary things go. Uh, pears too, which I used to at some point in my life I know I didn't like, but I, now I'm fine with pears. Like even pears uh, in, in out of a can or a jar or whatever. Yeah. Because um, they can be a little grainy. Yep. But, um, I don't like
1: that graininess.
0: Yeah, but yeah, but I've I've I can deal with that, but not for whatever reason, not applesauce. Huh.
1: Interesting.
0: Maybe maybe i spent too much time on the beach as a kid um on lake michigan and so i'm just used to sand in my mouth so uh the pears don't bother me there you go because it is reminiscent of of
1: that oh every time we went to the beach like to the point where my brothers and i just believed that sandwich comes from the fact that there's always sand in them. <laughs> yep gross Uh, Are you doing so you uh, let's talk about Father's Day real quick. You're going to go see your folks. Um, Is there a Father's Day tradition that's unique to your family? I don't think so. Nothing. Nothing comes to mind. My mom's going to make
0: sloppy Joe, but that's not a tradition. It's just easy to make for a bunch of people.
1: Yeah, I I ran across a meme today that was uh, Mother's Day. All the brunch restaurants in the world are full and Father's Day. They expect us to do the cooking, huh? (laughs) <laughs> you know, which has been a thing like I recall Father's Day being a big barbecue or grilling kind of a holiday where the dads really were supposed to do that work, which is sort of a bummer. But at the same time, like, not really. But I uh, we're going to be going to the beach tomorrow. That's why that we brought that up.
0: Uh huh. Oh, OK, gotcha. Yeah, I can't even remember as a kid if we always went to my grandparents, like if we'd always go visit Grandpa on Father's Day or try to. I don't know as that was a thing. I don't, or if we did,
1: we didn't do it enough for it to be like, hey, it's Father's Day, so we're going to go visit Grandpa. Yep. We grilled, bought my dad an ugly tie. That was about it. Sometimes he'd go <laughs> golfing, you know. Yeah. I think there was a tie or two for sure. Yeah. All right, There's no good way to segue out of that. But <laughs> I did want to talk about this UPS thing that's coming up, specifically because I do think that it is going to affect restaurant folk who are in my position. So this is an article I sent you from CNN Business. UPS Teamsters overwhelmingly authorized strike if no deal is reached by August 1st. So this is the fourth big unionizing sort of uh, action we've seen recently. So Starbucks, Writers Mm -hmm. Guild of America. Mm -hmm. There is a huge thing going on in Southern California right now where the hotel workers are either already striking or are about to. And now we're looking at Teamsters, specifically UPS. Uh, Why I thought this would uh, be something that's appropriate for us is Ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake. If the Teamsters strike, specifically the ones that work at UPS, for they are looking for I guess it's just basic uh contract negotiation.
0: Yes, their 5-year contract expires July 31st.
1: Yeah. This vote, this is a quote from the article, This vote shows that hundreds of thousands of Teamsters are united and determined to get the best contract in our history at UPS. If this multi-billion dollar corporation fails to deliver on the contract that our hard-working members deserve, UPS will be striking itself. Uh, Union-based and unionized workers in this country have... As much as I've trashed Local One Unite here in Chicago, who are like the most grumpy, obnoxious, lazy group of people I've ever worked with in my life. This is my one experience working for a union. They soured me on it. Labor unions are doing great work right now with sort of moving the needle and making it apparent to employers that, yeah, if you're posting record profits and your wage increases are not keeping up with cost of living increases, they will simply go on strike. And then, like, can you imagine what this country would look like if UPS stopped delivering for a month, or two months, or six months? Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, um, at least there are other options, right? Yeah. FedEx or USPS, although um, they are kind of all intertwined now a little bit because sometimes uh, UPS does... uh, big portion of the haul and then the USPS does the last mile or whatever
1: yeah so I mean you'll see a lot more stuff shipped with the postal service if that's the case if this does if this does happen because the postal service is the government I wonder if they can unionize or not
0: I don't know I I don't recollect them ever striking um, but I think think there must be a union that they're a
1: part of i don't know that's a good question yeah i also do not know i do know i went to the post office the other day and there were at least 15 people in line when i got there and there was nobody in line for the like self-checkout thing so i did that and i was able to post my my package that i was sending out before anybody who was in line left yeah (laughs) and it was awesome
0: I like those little machines, too. I used to use those when I'd send stuff more often. Um.
1: Now, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for everybody in the industry? I'm not saying that UPS delivers a lot of stuff directly to our doors when we order product for our restaurants, for our operations, whatever. However... There, there are some things that do get shipped to me via UPS or FedEx or whatever just because they're uh, special order things or they are whatever other things that they are, right? They, I need them next day, right? Or I'm getting something that is out of the ordinary from my purveyor and they can source it, but it's coming from a warehouse and it's coming via UPS, FedEx, whatever. Those things I can plan for. This will, and I don't know the specifics of it because I don't have the ability to see into the future... It will disrupt the supply chain in as much as things that do need to move won't be moving. And that's going to affect everything else. Just no question. It's just going to affect everything else in ways that right now we can't uh, know. We can't yeah. know what they're going to do.
0: Well, because, and we, as we found out during pandemic for stuff, like what we, one of the things we don't know is which one of your suppliers... Or uh, what um, meat processing plant or what farmer it relies on UPS to deliver the thing that they need to do their job. Right. Um, and, and
1: so that it could disrupt something um, that way. Well, uh, and if I'm, if I'm expecting, because we order snacks for the school. And there's one particular producer out of New York who is not, they're a vendor for me, but they're not local by any means. And so when they ship, they ship via FedEx. If FedEx is all of a sudden picking up all of UPS's business, guaranteed my shipping goes from 2-day to 19-day. They're just going to have – they're going to have too much business. If everybody yeah. flops over to FedEx, if everybody flops over to USPS, right, it's going to cause slowdowns in both of those other chains w- without question. Yeah. Well, this And that's they- before you consider like – The people who send food to me, how do they get it? How do they get their packaging materials? How do they get their office supplies, right? And if any of that stuff comes UPS to them, then they're automatically slowed down as well in other parts of their operation before it even gets to me.
0: Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting because they do say they have until July 31st to actually get a contract. So this is a a preemptive sort of a, hey, if we don't get this hashed out, guess what's going to happen on August 1st? So that uh, the the um, the man at UPS can look look at that and, and decide if if it's worth the risk of uh,
1: um, not having uh, um, drivers for right. however long. Well, and what we are seeing still, and what the unions are fighting against, is we are seeing corporations posting record profits, and we are seeing no increase in labor compensation. Because of that, what we're seeing is the thing that you always harp on, which is shareholders, are making that money. But the thing is, is they're not doing anything. The people who are doing the work, making the products, delivering the products, whatever, are not seeing any of the benefits of that. It's it's how capitalism is designed, right? Yeah. The folks at the top reap the benefits. When a labor union steps in, that's the point of a labor union, is to tell the people in the C-suite office – you need to share some of this money, or the money's going to stop. And the way that the money stops is we're going to stop doing our part of this work. And then you see that they go, okay, fine. And they let a pittance dribble down to the, to the workers. Ideally, and as much so, we have a, uh, this is Carol out in California, alerted me to this, or a different labor union thing. I forget which one she sent me. You're not wrong, right? Like, labor unions do... Oh, she sent me the thing about the uh, the hotels. They do... That's a tide that raises all ships, right? So, like, if UPS strikes, if all the teamsters who work for UPS strike, you can be pretty sure that uh, DHL and FedEx and whoever else are watching that, and they might voluntarily increase wages and benefits just to avoid having to go through the mess of a strike. Yeah. Right. Same thing with the hotels in Southern California. When they settle that out, you're going to see those hotels, their other locations are going to be more amenable to uh, races, cost of living increases, stuff like that, so that they don't have to go through that same thing. By and large, unions in this country are doing good work. It's slow. It's laborious. They're putting in a lot of work for it. I just happened to work for some of the most garbage people in the world, and I keep saying work for. I did not work for the union. Nobody works for the union. The union should have been working for me. That's not how it was operating. Those people were terrible, and I bet they still are. They soured me on it. That's that's my my single experience. I'm allowing my one single experience to ruin labor unions for me forever, and I'm trying to walk back from that, but it's a hard road to walk <laughs>
0: Yeah, my the time that I was a member of a union was when I worked at Meyer and uh, I had to be a part of the union to work there. i only worked there for a summer and I'm sure that I benefited from something that they had done. But I was only there for such a short period of time that I yeah. never, you know, I, I it was kind of a I was there, but, you know, in name only.
1: Yeah, it's. I bulk against it a little bit when somebody's like, oh, you like your 40-hour work week? You like your weekends off? Thank a union member. And I'm like, well, if you can find me a union member who's like 150 years old, who actually helped <laughs> write those original legislations, sure, also, up until I took this job, I've never had weekends, and I've never worked only a 40-hour week. So until you unionize all restaurants in the world and we start getting treated better, yeah, you, you just hold on to being all cocky about this 40-hour work week thing. Yeah. <laughs> but like you were talking about a while back, red states primarily but state legislatures across this country are trying to roll back child labor stuff which is also was one of the union concerns back in the day when it's like pulling nine-year-olds out of the coal mines to be like no this kid should be in school and like in ohio we got an article set to us that i forgot to look into a little while back here this came to us from a listener named michael this is ap news um kids could fill labor shortages even in bars if these lawmakers succeed Uh, lawmakers in several states are embracing legislation to let children work in more hazardous occupations for more hours on school nights and in more expanded roles, including serving alcohol in bars and restaurants as young as 14. Steve, you know my son. Do you want him serving booze at 10 o'clock at night on a Wednesday? Yeah, no. I also don't want him recommending
0: anything, uh, to me. Um, and, and I feel like the great irony here is the, uh, uproar about, um, protecting children yeah. in all of these other areas. Um, but evidently, like, we we can't have drag shows because we have to protect the children um, from drag shows, evidently, but not from uh, drunk adults <laughs> or... Yeah. Or, you know, uh, sharp blades in a uh, in a factory or a meat processing <laughs> right. plant or pesticides in a, you know, whatever. It's like, um, if, if they're getting paid for it, I guess it's fine. So we just need to hire kids to work in theaters that produce drag shows,
1: and then everything's fine. So this article goes on. The efforts to significantly roll back labor rules are largely led by Republican lawmakers to address worker shortages and, in some cases, run afoul of federal regulations. Keep in mind, states' rights, whatever, if you are stooping so low that you're butting up against federal regulations, you've gone too far. Because the federal regulations on most of this stuff, it's a pretty low bar, you know. Um... Yeah. Child welfare advocates worry the measures represent a coordinated push to scale back hard-won protections for minors. The one thing that I did see, not in this article but in a different one, was that one of the big pieces of legislation they were trying to pull out of the original language was parent permission that kids could either be coerced or could choose to go to work as early as 14 and they didn't need their parents to sign off on it like yeah if my son wanted to get a job and i knew the people he wanted to go work for and if i felt like it was a safe environment for him yeah maybe we could work something out where he could go and have a job right now but i would want to be in charge of all of that you know yeah
0: yeah uh, i'm sure there are some valid reason somewhere in there for this like uh, I'm thinking (laughs) oddly enough of like the Britney Spears thing where it's like uh, if your parents are taking all the money from the labor that you're doing um, like I don't know how old she was when she started but she was a like a Mouseketeer or something wasn't she? Yeah Um, so like in that sort of situation where it's like, it's not like hard labor, um, it's not dangerous work. And then your parents are keeping all the money. Maybe I could see an argument for, you know, removing the parental oversight so that the kid actually reaps the benefits from the, the, their own labor. But, but like, that's the only thing I can think of. And that's so limited in scope that, uh, um, you know, it's just, it's just so it's, curious. If, if we, What it feels like is, you know what, if we look at how many people will be able to be in the workforce if we remove some of these regulations, which means then that some of these slovenly types, these slovenly adults that are on uh, <laughs> welfare or, um, you know, unemployment or whatever, they'll have to jump back in the, work mar- uh, the job market because otherwise their job's going to be taken by a 14-year-old and, uh, you know, Um, We can keep wages low because we can always hire a 14-year-old. We don't have to pay you a living wage. We can hire a 14-year-old. A 14-year-old doesn't need a living wage because they live with their parents.
1: Yeah. Everything about it feels predatory. And, like, we're just backpedaling.
0: Yeah. I mean, yes, there's something to be said for learning... um, how to how jobs work learning about making a living um you know learning about budgets and and money and all that kind of stuff yes there's something to be said for that um but there's you know got to be other ways to do it than throwing your kid into an overnight cleaning shift at a meatpacking plant
1: yeah there's i don't want to get too terribly political with this because if you've listened to this show before you know that steve and eileen pretty hard left but there is also a supposition in a lot of this reporting that this is intentional to get kids into low-wage jobs where they will then not do as well in school, they will graduate high school and retain the low-wage job, not know anything differently, and not have the education and skill set to then get a high-paying job, and that this is a way to start rebuilding the lower, lower class of this country specifically for the benefit of the folks in the shareholder kind of office, so that there is that big pad there of people that are dumb, not their fault, they didn't do well in school because they were working overnights cleaning a meatpacking plant, and then that's the only job they know, it's the only job they can take, and then they don't have the assets to be able to advocate for themselves, there's no union, they can't get a raise, they never do better because they were never given like a choice, right? They weren't given the education and the the resources to be able to go like, oh well actually I'd like to be an attorney, right? I don't want to work in this meatpacking plant. That's that's a that's a big step to make from this to from this legislation being like, yeah, a 14 year old kid can work in a bar, to we wanna have an underclass of people who are stupid. Yeah. who We can just have do these menial <laughs> labor, but you can see it like the way that I've seen these things written. I'm like, well, you convince me, but it didn't take much for me to be convinced about that. <laughs> like I've read enough dystopian fiction. I know what the, I, like like. The, the, they're trying to rebuild the proletariat. Fine. I get that. Right. Like that's that's been a political goal for right wing conservative politics for hundreds of years. Is to build a surf class that you can just exploit. <laughs> I get that.
0: You know, I used to think um, I'm playing uh, Wasteland Three right now, which is a post-apocalyptic uh, um, role-playing game kind of a thing. But um, you know, and and it and uh, the same with what is the what's the big one? I've not gotten into because it's way too expansive. Um, Fallout. Oh, I've not played. Um, I believe this is true of Fallout, because it's true of most post-apocalyptic kind of stuff, is that society has just gone to hell. Yeah. And you have all these little fiefdoms and everything. And for a long time I thought, you know what, this just, this, it, it, society wouldn't disintegrate like this. And now I'm like, oh yeah, I think it, I mean, it's disintegrating now without the, the apocalypse. So uh, it wouldn't take much of a push to get, to reach the
1: state that we see in some of these video games where things are horrible. Well, as soon as you said post apocalyptic video game, I was working up a joke to. I was going to come back with, is it just a documentary? But <laughs> you, you beat me to it. Well, it does have a thing at the beginning. It's
0: like, uh, when we. St- we. When, we uh, uh, a diverse group of blah, blah, you know, it's the same sort of boilerplate stuff they usually have. But it also said, uh, um, this, this was started in, in names a year or whatever. And it's like, any, uh, any similarities to anything that may have happened since is purely coincidental. Yeah. So I don't I haven't I haven't encountered what it is they mean yet, but uh um so it might just have been thrown on there as a as a funny haha or something like that, but it also might be oh does one of the, just what does a character in this resemble somebody that we know? I don't
1: know. <laughs> Wild. I um I've always felt like I would do okay post apocalypse. Based on the skill set that I have. Based on, you know, the advantages that I have already. Resources I have. Like, we could, if we needed to, defend this house for for a while. You know? The back door's glass, but we could fix that. You know, we're defensible. And we have a fair amount of, of food in this house. Like, if I needed to kill an animal and butcher it and eat it, I could do that, right? That sort of thing. But at the same time, you also just sort of never know. Like, we watched The Last of Us, which is... A show about, like, you could just take a whiff of the wrong air, you get mushrooms in your brain, and you turn into a zombie. Like, there's no fixing that, right? You can't skill your way out of that. (laughs) I don't know. At this stage, I just hope I don't live long enough to see the collapse of society. (laughs) Yeah. Ideally, we hit more of, like, a French Revolution kind of thing, where extremely rich people are pulled from their homes, and their heads are cut off, and we redistribute the wealth. Like, that's the ideal. Not that I'm advocating for murdering rich people, like indiscriminately, but there are some who are clearly just rat bastards. So, you know, start with the obvious list. See how well you can redistribute that wealth and then move down the list.
0: I don't think you need to cut off their heads, though. I think just making them poor is probably punishment enough.
1: Well, send them somewhere terrible, right? Like, I don't know where. Pick, pick, like, Antarctica or something, right? Just send all of them somewhere terrible with (laughs) flip-flops. I don't know. Like... Maybe it's time for everybody to rewatch Fight Club and be like, wait a minute, we could just blow up the banks and get rid of all the debt. You know, that <laughs> sort of thing. Are you listening, uh, uh, Anonymous? <laughs> Alright, so we've got time for one more article. What do you want to... Well, do you want to um,
0: talk about the uh, Safeway? Sure. This this would this isn't a heist but it kind of falls into our uh um well I mean
1: it's what's the opposite of a heist <laughs> <laughs> Well this is a this is a trick this isn't a heist it's a trick Yeah which I think we've sort of touched on in the past in a theoretical sense so this is, you sent this, this is
0: from uh, Anchorage Daily News, ADN.com. Uh, Safeway bamboozled nearly a million California shoppers with deceptive BOGO deals a lawsuit charges. Now, um, we feel like this is a legit lawsuit, or is this one of those, um, your uh, Texas Pete is neither Texas nor Pete.
1: So this one's legitimate, and it's also not only a great use of the term bamboozled, but they really (laughs) could have worked BOGO into bogus deals, and they they neglected to do that part. Really what it comes down to is Safeway was raising the price of something so that when they did a buy one, get one, it was the same price as though you were buying two of them anyway and making it look like it was a sale, which it was not.
0: Yes. The thing that, uh, uh, I mean, this is, e- e- a lot of places you go and it'd be like, well, hey, this is the uh, this is the actual, uh, this is the full price and this is what you're paying. And it's like, well, that's, you've never had it for sale for that, though. So it's not really the full price. You're just, yeah. this, that's a fake price you put on here. Um, so, so, so that whole yeah. thing.
1: The example here is this fella, Caleb Haley, bought a pint of ice cream at a Safeway in one of the grocery giant's buy-one-get-one-free promotions, paying $7.49. The same tub cost $4 the day before the deal started and dropped back down to that price immediately after it ended. So if you would have purchased two, it would have cost you $8. The buy-one-get-one-free was roughly $8. So <laughs> they jacked the price up, claimed that you were getting a thing, and it's it's a false advertising lawsuit. This is actually pretty straightforward in as much as it it is it is false advertising uh where did i see at its 243 california stores safeway illegally jacks up prices on food sold in the buy one get one and buy one get two free promotions the lawsuit claims contending that california's unfair competition and false advertising laws make such practices illegal you'd think
0: that would be illegal other places as well yeah um because false advertising uh, other states have false advertising stuff um and that's, I mean, it's, uh, on some level it's gouging, right? You're well, yep. I mean, I guess gouging is something different, but, um, th- you see, we're seeing more and more industries move to flexible, uh, pricing, um, which will lead to gouging. It's the, yeah. like with, uh, Uber and their, uh, surge pricing, yeah. um, airlines for whatever reason have been able to get away with it for years. Where if you're the, if you buy the last ticket on the plane and it's like the day before you paid many times what yeah. the first person who bought a ticket on that plane paid.
1: Concerts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Although the federal government just reached a deal with like Ticketmaster and a couple of other online ticket retailers that there's not hidden fees anymore so everything has to be very upfront, and all of the like 15 or 20 different processing fees they have to be either explicitly explained or they have to go away completely this whole idea of like you're buying a ticket to Cirque du Soleil and it costs 90 dollars by the time you get down to the bottom of it it's been 210 dollars that that is apparently going to be either very very open and and honest in their Pricing, or those fees have to go away because it really a lot of them are just like we made up a number fee, six bucks, you know, like just they're they're ridiculous. That's just that is gouging.
0: Yeah, well, I mean that's all well and good, but if you still have to go through Ticketmaster to get that ticket, yeah, like they can explain it, and it's just like, well, I I don't want to pay for that fee, but I have no other option. Yeah, <laughs> um, I I feel that way about our gas bill and our electric bill. It's like customer service fee. Or cust- and it's like, well, what is that for? <laughs> I just can't. I just pay for gas, um, right? Especially for a gas bill. It's like I. It doesn't matter to me. It's not like um, the the restaurants that we were seeing where they were pu- sneaking the uh, whatever fee at the end, the uh, um, uh, insurance em- employee insurance fee, yeah, whatever percent at the end. Like that's sneaky because you you just in- incorporate that into the rest of your stuff or let or make it very bold on the menu that this this percentage will be added to your bill right um but uh like for the gas bills like i'm gonna pay the gas bill either way so if you have to raise the price of gas like i i have no other option you you are who i have to get my gas from (laughs) you know my uh my gas for the house for the water heater and whatever so if you raise that price you know then that don't you know, forget about the dumb fees. Just pay, just charge me what you need to charge me. Yeah. Um, and know that I don't think that you need to make money hand over fist off my gas. <laughs> you should make a profit. I'm not against you making a profit, but you know, you all don't need to be flying helicopters everywhere you want to go.
1: Yeah. Once again, we are seeing large corporations cry poverty. Oh, it's inflation. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. Oh, it's supply chain, and prices go up. And then everything's better, and prices don't come back down, and right. we sort of forget about it. We've gotten used to it, and that's across the board. That's just that is just a thing that's happening. And wages are not going up, benefits are not getting cheaper, right? Like that's uh, going back to the union thing. That's what the unions are fighting for. Is that like yeah, like you said at the very beginning of the episode, eggs are not cheaper. Chickens feel better, right? Like avian flu is is under control again, and supply chain is fine, and people are coming back out of COVID, and eggs are still six dollars for a dozen where they used to be a buck 89 you know like that's once a retailer or a producer or manufacturer has realized people are still going to buy their stuff even if it's expensive they're not going to bring the price back down out of the goodness of their hearts and the extra money they're making is not going to go to the proles you know it's not going to go to their workers and the the unions are like hey fucko you have to
0: Yeah, the theory is that there'll be some company that's like, well, you know what? We could sell a hell of a lot more eggs if we lowered our prices a little bit. And so they do that, and then everyone else has to bring them down too. But then uh, it doesn't work if you have like an egg cabal, and uh, everyone has agreed to keep their egg prices high um, to make record profits.
1: Well, we reported about this a couple of years ago. All three of the largest tuna, canned tuna producers in the country were actually convicted of price fixing. Like, it's illegal to do that. Yeah. But you know, at some point, all of these boards of directors cross over. And the big, the egg cabal, they are. They're sitting there talking. And they're like, nah, these idiots are going to keep paying for this. So nobody lower your prices or it's going to make us all look like greedy assholes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and all it really takes is, hey, go uh, go see what, uh, uh, you know, Ben's eggs. See, go, yeah. go check their prices at the supermarket. They still high? Yep. Okay, we're good.
1: Right. So to get back to this, in February, Safeway agreed to pay $107 million to settle a class action lawsuit in Oregon that made similar claims about buy one, get one, and buy one, get two free promotions for certain meat products. Eligible consumers received up to $200 each under the settlement. In 2014, Safeway agreed to pay more than $2 million to settle a lawsuit by Marin County prosecutors alleging it charged consumers more than its lowest advertised prices misrepresented the weights of Safeway brand products and implied that some produce was grown locally when it came from out of the country. In September, the company agreed to pay $8 million after authorities accused it of breaking gasoline leak prevention laws at its 71 California gas stations. I'm learning that Safeway is kind of a terrible company. Yeah. (laughs) They just keep doing stuff and they're like, yeah, yeah, $8 bucks. here you go, shut up, leave me alone.
0: Safeway, who owns Safeway? Maybe it is just Safeway, but... uh uh, Safeway was sold to Albertsons in 2015. So they are a subsidiary. Sub, sub, subsidiary. subsidiary. Yeah, there we go. Uh, of Albertsons. Let's see what brands Albertsons owns. Because I know they were like the second biggest supermarket or something for a while. Where does Kroger fit into all this? Kroger is another big one. Uh, so, they uh, Albertsons is Acme Markets, Albertsons, Amigos, uh, Balducci's, and uh, Dronicos, Car's, Hagen, Jewel Osco is Albertsons.
1: Okay. So, that's the same as Safeway?
0: Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, owned by the same company, although, yeah, you know, yeah. it's a subsidiary. Uh-oh. uh Vons, is it United Is funds? What's that? Is it hedge funds? The people who are ruining <laughs> everything? Maybe. Oh, you know what? You know what other market they own in uh, Greater Houston and Greater Austin? Central Market. Randall's. Oh, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, they um, they're uh, a biggie. You know what? I just heard that. I was surprised to hear uh, because of the other things that they owned. the The company that owns Instapot filed for bankruptcy. Oh, really? Yes. And you, Weren't they, they also, selling
1: like a million units a minute for a while there? They were. And so I did
0: see a thing that said that one of the reasons it failed, or the company's hard off, is because the
1: product um, lasts. Oh, okay. Um, so you don't sell a lot of replacements. So once you've sold 8 million of them, everybody in this country has one. Right. Um,
0: but So Instant Brands, the maker of Instapot, Instant Pot, rather, and other household brands such as... Pyrex, Snapware, and Corningware. <sighs>
1: I heard about this. Yeah, keep going.
0: Announced on Monday that it had filed for Chapter 11 bank- bankruptcy. The move, according to the company, will secure $132 million in funding to allow it to stay afloat and restructure rather than liquidate its business. Um, they did not respond to the New York Times request for comment. When was um, this? What's that?
1: When was the date of this article? This is... Uh, when is this? I, I saw it a little while ago. June 15th. Oh, okay. Because I had heard that Pyrex is different now than it has been. It was acquired by somebody, I forget who, and they're making it to a lower quality of the glass being able to stand up to heat. People are finding their Pyrex is falling apart, and so now people are going to garage sales, flea markets, antique stores to find old Pyrex because it's better.
0: Yeah. I would believe it. This is not mentioning anything about... Uh, about that, let me see if I can find an article. Cause yeah, I I, I totally um, would buy that. It's and it's true for other things as well. But it that um, wouldn't you wouldn't think that would be true if what that other other article I saw about the instant pots being so hardy. Um, uh, if that was true, you wouldn't think they would have changed the formula. Um, Tempered soda lime glass. Um, okay, so um, Pyrex originally used borosilicate glass for its products, uh, as it is exceptionally resistant to thermal shock, acidic substances, and thermal stress. However, in 1998, Pyrex changed its glass composition to a tempered soda glass, or soda lime glass. So they did, they did change it in 1998. Huh, okay. But I don't see why.
1: I don't know, maybe I was reading an article that was older. Oh, so you thought that it was more recent? Yeah, yeah. This is what happens when you get all of your news from the internet.
0: Yeah. So it was. It was in the 1990s. uh, Corning Glassworks sold the Pyrex brand to a company called World Kitchen. Uh, This sale marked a significant turning point in Pyrex history as it resulted in a change in the composition of glass used to make Pyrex products. This article I found, it seems to have been written by AI because it's getting repetitive and... uh, um is no longer um worth my time
1: (laughs) 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 Um, all right so i because you just said world kitchen i remembered the thing that we didn't talk about last week that i wanted to talk about because we did not talk about the world central kitchen dinner that i went to right so let's wrap this up this way ladies and gentlemen if you're not familiar with world central kitchen this is the relief the food relief organization run by Jose Andres, who for years had what was considered to be the best restaurant in the world, fellow from Spain, he's awesome. There's a documentary about him on Netflix. Highly recommend. Go ahead and watch that. Short story is, if your neighborhood has, like, a war or a hurricane or a tornado or something like that happen, this guy will, like, no joke, parachute chefs down into your neighborhood (laughs) and they will set up a place and they will start cooking food and they will throw food at you. And that's the kind of relief effort that is having to be done on these sorts of scales in these sorts of places because world governments are just apparently unprepared to take care of their own people. Go back to the former president throwing uh, paper towels at people in Puerto Rico like that was going to help at fucking all. So Puerto Rico has had World Central Kitchen at it a number of times because this country doesn't seem to think that Puerto Rico is part of this country except when we want to go vacation there. So, my wife donates to World Central Kitchen. I'm not going to steal her thunder on that. She donates to them and I do not. I don't know why. I just sort of feel like she does, so I don't need to. (laughs) We were invited to a donor appreciation dinner at a downtown Chicago restaurant called Piccolo Sonio. And I had never been there before. Tony Priolo is the chef owner of that joint gorgeous restaurant we sat outside there were about 40 or 50 people there who were donors who were being appreciated i felt very appreciated to be honest and the menu it was interesting because it was all served family style so we got a number of appetizers brought to the table and we would all pass them around we got a pasta dish we pass that around we had short ribs there were desserts it was great the event was specifically designed for people to meet each other as donors and so we were sitting next to a couple who own a half steak in a uh, bed and breakfast in Maine guy next to us on the other side was a investment banker kind of guy he had brought one of his co-workers with him and then sitting directly next to my wife and across the table from me was one of the organizers one of the like event people for World Central Kitchen and I was again because we were invited because of my wife's donations so I wasn't going in there like hey everybody I'm a chef that's the wrong move for me at this event right well it comes out because this organizer lady is talking to all of us, and she's like, what do you do? What do you do? What brings you here? All this kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm a chef. You know, like I'm trying to be kind of cagey about it. <laughs> the rest of all of the people who were organizers there wanted to meet me and talk to me and stuff. And I was just like, this is what I was trying to avoid. I'm generally not very humble, but I was trying not to be in the way, right? Right. But people are giving me their business cards. There's a local coalition of chefs in Chicago that – are kind of on call, I guess. Like Tony Periolo himself went to uh he went to Ukraine and he went to Poland and someplace else, Turkey maybe, to cook for people in war torn areas. And he was because he talked to the whole group at the very beginning of the dinner, he was like, I did it once and it changed my life. I did it two more times and it continued to change my life. The people who go and do this are like grateful for the opportunity to do it. And it's very, very, very cool as an organization. Am I going to sign up to get parachuted into a place to cook dinner for people? Probably not, at least not right now. Like, I just don't have the time or the resources. Like, I could only bring skills. They've got plenty of people with skills. What they need is people who are like, I have these resources, these connections. I have this restaurant. I have this money, right? Like, I'm in this certain place, whatever. That's the kind of help they need. So... It was a great dinner. It was very interesting. It was fun to meet the other people. I have a couple of business cards I do need to send some emails out, but, like, it was a very cool night. I don't believe I'm going to have a huge impact in this organization, but it was very cool to be sort of involved in that whole thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, they, um, you had just a dinner that the restaurant would normally serve, or did they fix something that they would possibly fix if they parachuted in somewhere with stuff no
1: it was definitely the restaurant's food okay that's what i thought it was interesting too because they were talking a lot about you know the, the the organizer lady who was sitting at our part of the table was talking a lot about their organization their structure their approach and we were allowed to ask all kind of questions and that was one of my questions i was like all right what's step one when you get there and your kitchen is set up and you know you have a certain number of people to feed how like how is it decided what to feed them And her answer was right straight out of some sort of promotional material, but she had obviously written it, so it was also true. She was like, look, all we want to do is make food that they are not only going to know, but that they're going to see as comforting, nourishing, all of that. She's like, we're not going to go into Turkey and make them cheeseburgers. That's not (laughs) what they eat there. So part of what we do is liaise with chefs and restaurateurs and cooks who are already there and ask them what to make. Yeah. She goes, it could also be. A very bad idea. She goes, you don't go into a place and make a ham and cheese sandwich if it's... And she kind of trailed off and I went, Israel? <laughs> that didn't get the laugh I was expecting because that's a very good joke. But she kind of nodded. She was like, yeah, there's a lot of places in the world where you don't go make people a ham and cheese sandwich. Like, yeah. All right, all right. So I learned a lot about their organization, too, which was very cool. Yeah. I guess they have ready-to-deploy all the time, like uh shipping container size things that are just mobile kitchens that can literally be dropped, like, delivered by a helicopter, and it opens up, and then they just need to, like, turn stuff on, and they can start cooking. It's not applicable for all, like, terrains and stuff, but the G.I. Joe nature of it is really very interesting to me, that you could just, like, have a helicopter with a box underneath it and drop it, and, like, poof, it's a kitchen. I love that. Yeah.
0: I found my grandpa in World War II um, did some uh, – cooking and I looked I don't think I still have it but I I saw his um the book that talked about how to what where to put things and how to deploy the kitchen and uh, I'm sure that nowadays it's a lot like if you can just drop the box and open the box and, and get going is a lot simpler than uh they uh what they had to deal with but um yeah it is fascinating
1: Well, and what they were talking about, too, that struck me as being like, oh, so this is not reactionary anymore. They're doing stuff on purpose. They leave, a legacy is the wrong way to think about it, but they leave things in place where, they'll like in Puerto Rico, they were talking about how one of the first things they did when they went to Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria is somebody realized that there were all these food trucks sitting idle. And so they figured out who owned the food trucks, and they supplied them with staff and with raw product, And then they built, like, a network of these food trucks. After they left, the food trucks kept doing the thing. They kept feeding the people who were there because infrastructure had been put into place with the help of the World Central Kitchen people. And that's the kind of impact they can have that's, like, lasting, right? And that was the stuff that was the most interesting for me to learn because it really is Band-Aid work and triage work. But if you can also mobilize a group of people who already live there already have some pieces and parts get them the rest of it and let them go then the work keeps happening you don't have to be there anymore and that's that's really that's the that's the success of a group like that
0: yeah so it's the whole give a person a fish thing on a much larger scale right
1: right right right. yeah give a man a beer you ruin his afternoon teach him how to brew you ruin his life yeah yeah (laughs) so they're out yeah and they're out to teach teach the brewing
0: or, or set up the uh you know, uh, um, set up the the connections, make the connections, and and get get things going so that it, it's sustainable once they're out of there.
1: Right, and it it felt a little weird to be at this dinner for an organization that really relies on donations for them to be putting on this lavish dinner for us. Until I realized that it was more that Tony Priolo himself was offering up all of that stuff as a way. It was. In many ways, it was a fundraiser in as much as they want us to continue donating and they want us to have conversations like you and I are having now where I'm like, these fuckers are really cool, right? Yeah. (laughs) And so I'm able to speak intelligently about the length and breadth of the work that they do off of a two and a half hour dinner, right? I learned a ton and I thought I knew about what they did, but now I really know about what they did. They had a whole presentation, they had flyers and all this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, for them, it was a bit of recruiting. It was a bit of an increase of donations for a small outlay because it was not that big of a group. And the impact is going to be much greater than what they laid out. But, like, that guy was also, I'm sure, donating some product sometime. And the seats that we were in could have been people dining in his restaurant. And he was taking a hit on that, right? So, like, that sort of goodwill, they were playing on that, too. Yeah. So it probably was not as it, it was as lavish as i thought it was but it probably wasn't as expensive as i thought it was
0: yeah you know to bring this sort of a uh, full circle uh to what we were talking about um toward the beginning we were talking about food memories and memories related to food yeah. it, it totally makes sense that uh i mean you want you want to give people comfort food when they need comfort yeah um because like you said you don't give cheeseburgers you know you're not parachuting into turkey and giving people cheeseburgers after an earthquake or whatever right. um, and if you did can you imagine how pe- how much those people would hate cheeseburgers
1: <laughs> associate them with post earthquake turkey Yeah, because
0: yeah. that's the only association then to that food is, be- is oh yeah this is what you get after some sort of disaster you know versus no I want you know um, couscous is that Turkish um, I don't know
1: that I've ever eaten like strictly Turkish food
0: yeah, I don't know. I, I couldn't name anything exactly. My sister's been to Turkey a couple of times, so she could, but uh, yeah, I mean you, you want something that's like, ah, this is what my grandmother used to make, or this is what we would have at home, or whatever. Right. Something that, that's familiar, that reminds you of better times, not something that is only serves to remind you that how different things are right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, again, I can, not that anybody was saying, oh, World Central Kitchen, I think they're doing a terrible job. I can definitely say they're, they're not only doing good work but they're doing more and better work than i thought they were like the approach is not just band-aid work yeah which is cool like i thought it was very reactionary and i thought it was good but i thought it was very reactionary they're putting a lot more thought into this than i was giving them credit for so that was cool yeah it was also nice to have a dinner like we haven't we've been (laughs) out to dinner once previous to this my wife and i've been out to dinner once and it was like two weeks ago when we found ourselves childless for a couple hours because our kids had activities they were at and we were like should we go out to dinner and we (laughs) went to a place that was slightly fancier than we thought it was going to be right here in the neighborhood and uh it was good but this was like this was really good this was like this was fancy food i had never been to that restaurant before i i could afford to eat there i'm sure but like it took us 45 minutes to drive into the city and find parking and all this stuff and yeah it was uh it was really good <laughs> we were also out later than we thought we were gonna be. The event said it went from six to eight thirty, so we told the kids to be home by nine. We didn't even leave till eight thirty something, so it was like nine fifteen, come home and here's my fourteen year old son. Luckily unemployed, standing at the front door like, Where have you been? You know, like he was waiting <laughs> up for us. It was very funny. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he could he could totally be working overnights. I know, we, we should have been passing him on his way out to go to his uh <laughs> cleaning the factory floor job. Yep.
0: Bring back the meatpacking to Chicago. Back of the yards. Revive it.
1: Or I guess the the yards. Yeah, entirely on 14-year-old labor. Yeah. (laughs) There's got to be enough in Chicago. (laughs) All right. I'm getting snifflier and snifflier, and this must be just a disaster to listen to. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you have any connection to the World Central Kitchen, if you are a 14-year-old who just took your first restaurant job, (laughs) what else (laughs) did I want to ask about? If your restaurant's haunted, or if you have decided that you're life and or death goal is to haunt the place that you worked at please let us know best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds wbr at gmail.com my instagram where you can see all of my plant updates and bread that i bake and stuff like that is chef ben randall we have a facebook page and a facebook group if you just uh search for in the weeds with ben randall and steve runs a website for us in the weeds wbr.com And, uh, yeah, on there, not that Steve and I are in any danger of becoming super rich off of merch, you can find all sorts of goofy outfits, uh, mainly t-shirts and hats. So you can dress like me if you would like to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's all I've got for tonight, Steve. I hope I am not sick. I hope this is just allergies. Yeah, ditto. All right. For In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Kenwell. Talk at you not next week because I'm out of town, but the week after. All right. And we'll talk about that. That trip's going to be wild. I'm going to a college that my company runs in Wisconsin for a weekend. Yeah. So I'll nice. have much to report on about that. Good.